I am inspired by it. And I am inspired about the reality that my Savior conquered the grave. The reason I am inspired by that every time that I hear it is that the only reason that I have breath in this body right now is because of the reality that my Savior conquered the grave. And that I believe that my God is mighty to save. That's energy and life that wakes me up each and every morning. I am so grateful, so thankful that he saw where we were. He saw our needs and our sinful condition. And he decided to get up on that old rugged cross and give his life over so that you and I can have life. That excites me. I can't, I can't grow weary of that story. I can't, I can't grow weary of that story. And because of his sacrifice, I, I have life. So can we, can we just stand one, one, one quick time? Can we sing that together one more time? Just that chorus. I like to hear your voices. We'll move on. I promise I won't hold you long. He can move the mountains, my God. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Come on, shine your light. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Come on, sing with me. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Shine your light and let the whole Lord, that perfect love and that perfect sacrifice, the historical fact, Lord, that you conquered the grave, Lord, and upon yourself, you carried the burden of all of our sins, our failures, and our transgressions. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for seeing beyond our sin and seeing that we were all no matter who we are, no matter where we are from, no matter what hue we carry, no matter our education, our socioeconomic status, no matter what person that we love, 
Lord, that you look beyond all of those things that you saw that we were ultimately created in your image. Thank you, God, that we have upon ourselves a testimony that even the angels don't have. Lord, that you perform such a great work on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. We love you. And it's in your name that we do humbly pray. Now, God, take these words and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, may they be acceptable in your sight. For, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. And it's in your name that we do humbly pray. Amen. 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 Come on, will you have a seat? Thank you guys so much. It's uh, good to see your faces today. Um, especially uh, so many of our guests who are here. Uh, one church, one time, can we give our guests just a hand clap? And um, So grateful to see so many of you here today. Uh, I do want to take a moment, and I don't, I don't think that will embarrass some of their pastors. I think it will be okay. And just introduce you to some dear friends of ours who are here uh, from, uh, from Motor City, Motown, uh, from Detroit. They are pastors in our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and they've been here breaking and you want to talk about two two men two gifts of God who spend an enormous amount of time love and energy give it of themselves um, to the Brightmore community in uh, in Detroit and um, and they came spent the week here just for rest and um, and so uh, so we pray that they've been able to do so so real quickly uh, Pastor Samil and Patricia Thomas can y'all stand so we can kind of greet y'all or just wave yeah there you go thank you Patricia all right yeah, they are, they are good and dear friends of ours. Uh, Samil also spent a couple of days uh, just pouring into Pastor Matt and I, and uh, we're grateful for them. So you guys get to meet them. Just uh, let them know that we love them and we appreciate the work that they're doing five and a half hours from us. Amen. 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 Well, we, uh, we are winding up finishing our series that we have entitled Mission. Uh, where we've been spending the last four weeks, or this is the fourth week, rather, of unpacking the mission statement of one church, uh, hoping that you know the reason that, you know, why you are here, um, and that, uh, that we gather not just for the sake of gathering, we gather because we are on mission together. Amen? Amen. And then what flows out of that mission is the relationships, the deepening of conversations, the the journey and all those things that come together. But at the core of why we gather is the mission of God that he called. I always try to remind um, each and every one of us of this. I, I really don't like when you guys say, well, you know, man, God gave this vision to, to you and Matt. And I'm like, well, no, no, God gave this to all of us. That I, I pray that this that we believe in this one church, this, this reality of this community that we're building, I pray that you feel as passionately about it and that God has called you here as well and not just Matt and I. This is not Matt and Jamel's show. And, and my prayer is that we've done a good enough job empowering and letting you know this is yours. This is ours. Like, we, we're in this together. And uh, the only difference between you and Matt and I is that we were here first. Other than that, we're like, you know, we're all in this together. And so, um, so, so never say this is, this is Matt and Jamil's. No, this, is, this has nothing to do with Matt and Jamil's. This is first and foremost Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then it's about the community, all of us together, all right? 
All right, so we, we've been going over this, and so we've been trying to explain that there are, there are some, some, some things that we have put together that we hope that you don't just view as words, uh, that we have this vision. Remember, uh, we shared a couple of weeks ago, the vision is basically that. It is what you hope or what we hope to see when we think about one church. And so our vision statement is real simple. One church exists to transform our community as we become more like Jesus. That is our vision, that we become more like Jesus. We believe that if we do that, we will become community transformer. We will transform our community the more that we grow like him. So the vision is what you see, right? The mission then is how you accomplish the vision. And that's what we've been walking through over the last few weeks. And so we've got four things that we talk about that it's our mission. We'll put it up together. And I, I like, you know, I like to hear your voices. And so let's read this mission together. Our mission is that we will. Amen. Thank you so much. That's, uh, that, that's, that's how we figure that we can transform our community. Remember, the first part I said is that as we become more like Jesus, well, that's in the mission statement. We become more like Jesus by exploring who Jesus is. The more that we explore him, the more that we gather together and we study scripture, we learn more about him. The historical, I like to bring that up. He's the historical Jesus. The more we study and learn about him, the more we become like him. Jesus is so amazing that you can't help but not become like him and love him the more that you learn about him. So that's the first that we explore who Jesus is. Then we experience God through worship. And we talked about how the reality is that, you know, when we, when we, when we, when we gather in worship, we consider, number one, worship as a lifestyle and not just an event. But when you learn to have a worship as a lifestyle, it begins to transform you. You begin to experience God through that. It becomes transformative within yourself. But then also, uh, life together in community. We did that last week, man. Some of you all, uh, our guests, or even some of our members who weren't here last week. Last week, you missed it. Let me rub it in your faces for just a brief moment. Um, we, we, we set the whole spot up like a banquet hall. And, um, and we have, man, we have some... Man, we have good food. I'm, man, listen, if you weren't here, you'll never taste food as good as what we had last week. I'm trying to tell you, like, you know, I mean, you may have eaten last Sunday, but it, you didn't eat what we ate, and it wasn't nearly as good as what we ate. In fact, never in your life will you ever eat food as good as what we ate last week. And never in your life will you enjoy the company that we experienced while we were eating that food that you will never experience in your life again. Do you feel bad? Yeah. Do you feel bad? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was great. In fact, uh, let, let me real quickly, Ms. Diana wanted me one more time to thank each and every one of you who all gave of yourselves your time and energy and preparing for the thing. So thank you so much for that last week. And uh, we modeled rather than saying, hey, this is what life together and community teaching it. We lived it out, and, and Matt walked us through, man, just what that looks like in Scripture. And then today we close out the series uh, talking about engaging the community around us. So what I, I would like to do is um, I don't necessarily want to preach that portion. I want to make a case for why that portion is important to us, why, why that's important. Is that Okay. Uh, so I, I got to thinking about this thing. And so before we get into it, go ahead. And you, if you want to open your Bible, open it up to the gospel, not the gospel, the book of Acts. 
which is after the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts, chapter 8. And uh, we're just going to read the first four verses. And, um, and I, I want to argue for why engaging the community around us is an important part of the story of Christians. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we'll be reading from the New International Version. And so open it up or pull out your device. And uh, as always, it'll be available for you on the screen, except for if you're sitting in front of that screen, um, which is out for a moment. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, this is what you'll find. Verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4, those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. Amen. It was uh, April 13th, 1919, in the garden of a place that was called Jalian Vallabhag, which is in India, where a group of protesters gathered in nonviolent protests and peaceful opposition to British occupation. Um, sadly, the uh, British Army gunned down hundreds of nonviolent protesters right in the garden of Jalian Vallabhag. And um, it was this horrific event that eventually led to Gandhi's nonviolent protest, which eventually led to the uh, freedom of India from British occupation. Or how about in 1989, Hurricane Hugo destroys the teen pool of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And at the time, there was a guy who was, at that time, the top-rated swimmer in the 400 meters. Destroyed the pool. Not only did it destroy his school pool, but his mother eventually died as a result of Hurricane Hugo. Feeling hopeless and feeling that he had nothing to live for, losing his love of swimming, also losing his mom. He gave up, said that he'd never swim again. But because of that, in order to occupy his time, he discovered his love for another sport. For the first time in his life as a high schooler, he picked up a basketball in 1989. Last year, he, he retired as one of the greatest power forwards to ever play the game. His name is Tim Duncan, by the way. Or, or how about August 19th, 2017, on a college campus in Charlottesville, Virginia, Protesters gathered in response to hatred, and they then experienced, man, a horrific moment of vehicular homicide. And as a result of that, people from every walk of life, of every creed and every color have gathered since that day proclaiming that we, as we just finished singing, are one people. And then movement, man, I don't think that we've seen the change that it will have on our nation to this point. I bring this up because I want you to know that the God that we serve is masterful at taking moments that seem so horrific, making them and turning them into miracles and creating movements that changes our world for the better. 
Sometimes in order for us to get to the point where God is using us to be transformative, at times we have to experience pain as we walk through those processes. We, we see this, man, uh, just all over. In fact, I'm a lover of hip-hop, and one of my favorite artists, a guy by the name of Propaganda, he says these words. I love it. He says, God is the Mozart of irony. He says that he is the Vincent Van Gogh that only paints with serendipity. Our God is wonderful and masterful at taking miracles and making miracles out of mess. In our passage, man, we, we see this happening in the early church. In fact, at this point, things are going pretty well. Uh, the followers of Jesus up at this point have seen that it has appeared as though the pendulum of momentum was swinging in their direction and things were going well. The church was growing. People were being saved. People were being healed. Lives were changing, man. It was great. There's a very basic kind of movement that you see in the, uh, the book of Acts. We see at the beginning of the book of Acts that, that the Savior went up. After the Savior went up, the Spirit came down. When the Spirit came down, the saints went out. And when the saints went out, the sinners came in. That's a great model for us as you read through, through the book of Acts. It's a great model for the church. We recognize that the Savior, he bled and he died and he was risen from the planet. When he came and rose, when he ascended, the Spirit descended, empowering us with gifts to be able to reach people from all walks of every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Therefore, we are empowered to then go out as the saints and we go out and we spread the love of Jesus Christ. Not street corner conversion. No, man, we, we, we have a gift, the spirit inside of us that allows us to connect with people on a different and a deeper level. And when it happens, man, sinners like you and I, they find refuge in the relationship, man, that comes from Jesus Christ. This time, man, the church had become pretty much a booming community, so much so that the apostles decided that they needed to bring in some additional leaders to help with the service so that they could devote themselves to nothing but the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. And they brought in what you learn in, in Acts chapter 7. They brought in, man, seven great leaders, uh, one particularly by the name of Stephen who was a young, fiery deacon, man. He, he preached the gospel, and he infuriated the leaders of that day as he, as, he, as he preached what they did not like because it was stripping them of the very power, making them aware of how they were oppressing God's people. Well, they, they didn't like it, man. The Jewish leaders of that day didn't like it. He preached a message to the Sanhedrin Council, which was the Jewish leader council of that day. And they hated him so much because of his lesson that the Bible tells us they took him out and they stoned Stephen to death. Man, can you think about that? Humor me for a moment and consider the scene. Think about the reality that all he did was preach a sermon and that there was so much hate in these individuals that they beat him, drug him into the center square and they took massive stones and beat him so badly until his soul left his body. Now, I want you to, to look at this in reality. This isn't some Hollywood scene here. 
I, I love old kung fu flicks. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite pastimes, man. I'll, I'll watch them for days. And uh, if you've ever watched old kung fu flicks and you see the blood on the guys, uh, the fighters, it looks like, man, thick, thick Hunt's Heinz ketchup. It's, it's real thick on their faces, and you know it's fake, and uh, you're looking at it, and you're looking at their, you know, their, their fake overacting faces as they're fighting. This isn't that. Yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't television. This isn't Hollywood. Imagine, imagine someone, a human being, laying on the ground, constantly beaten with huge stones. Here are the stones hitting his body. See his face and his expressions of pain each and every time that he takes a stone to his face, to his head, to his abdomen, to his chest. Not only that, but consider how much hate you have to have in your heart to participate in such a heinous act. I mean, consider just how tragic this moment was. And so we see that as Stephen is lying there, lifeless, that his friends come the Bible tells us that they mourned deeply for him. I paint that picture before that because you got to understand what they were feeling. This wasn't as though they have just walked into a wake where the mortician has cleaned up the body. This is them looking at someone who's a dear brother and they have witnessed his murder. They see his bloodied body lying lifeless on the ground and they are mourning deeply. Imagine the pain that they feel as they witness this horrific act. But then the Bible tells us they didn't even get a good enough time to, to deal with their grief. Because no sooner than they were there, what we were told is that a persecution, a great persecution broke out against the church. So they couldn't even process their pain, process their grief before them themselves fearing for their lives and it almost seems as if this is the plight of the followers of Jesus Christ because what we know and what they know is that this isn't the first time that they've experienced something similar to this that Stephen isn't the first one who has given his life for the cause he's not the first leader in fact the leader of this movement himself has suffered a violent death at the hands of these same individuals and so can you imagine how these, these group of followers who have been hope-filled about the future and about spreading this gospel and seeing their world changed, how it must have impacted them deeply as they see their friend lying lifeless on the ground. And how is it that we found ourselves at this place again? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How is it that I've found myself here again? That life has taken this turn again, that I've experienced this pain again, that hate has risen again, things don't change, things are here again. I argue all the time with individuals and they talk about the state of our world. And they'll say, man, Jamel, things are getting worse. And I argue things are not getting worse. We simply have easier access to it. The fact that our world has always been cruel. 
people have always been hate-filled and hate-fueled, and people have always taken individuals' lives, and justice has always escaped a certain group of people. That has always been the reality of our world. The difference is now is that you can just pull out your phone and you can see it. You can gather stories from all across the world. This is our world. This is what we experience over and over again. And so let me let you know this for those of us who, who are seeing Stephen's lifeless body on the ground. The first call for each of us, one of us is this. Let's do as his friends did. Let's mourn in this moment. Let's mourn in this moment. And you may be thinking like, man, you're reaching a bit, right? That, that what we experience is nowhere close to what they experience as they see their friend bloodied, bruised on the ground. But I'd argue the opposite of that. Never before in my life have I experienced the racial tension that we experience in this world. I never would have thought that I'd see it. I thought that the world was progressing forward vastly and that we'd see some differences. And I'm trying to tell you, I feel the pain of those, those gentlemen as they stood over Stephen's body. And I can tell you, I'm not reaching at all. I see it in the air. Or when politicians are more concerned on both sides of the aisle, they're more concerned with power than people. I feel the pain of our times. Or... We consider the opioid epidemic in our world. I grew up in the age of crack, but the opioid addiction has done something that crack had never did. The opioid epidemic has crossed every social and economic boundary, and it's impacting every neighborhood, and children are being left as orphans as a result of this, and people are dying daily. In fact, I don't know that we've ever experienced something that devastating in terms of drugs in our world. And I'm telling you, I am mourning the pain of our world. I, I'm not reaching at all when I'm telling you that we should mourn in this moment because there is something that's happening in our world each and every day that requires the people of God not to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear. We've got to mourn what's happening to our brothers and sisters in this world. Mourn for the moment. Don't turn a blind eye to poverty, to addiction, child sex, trafficking, homelessness, hopelessness in the inner city. We have to mourn what's being experienced in our world if we are calling ourselves lovers and followers of Jesus Christ. We have to hurt where people are hurting. Got a friend of mine, man, I, I saw it worked out in his life, man. He, uh, he was at the gym and he injured his ankle. He, he sprained his ankle. And, um, and so he, he, he goes to work the next day, and um, the, the, uh, the um, receptionist at his job, at his office, is a retired nurse. He goes in, and she's monitoring his, his, his behavior throughout the day. She's seeing how he's walking. And at the end of the day, she called him over to the receptionist station, and she says, what's wrong with your foot? He says, oh, it's no big deal. I just simply sprained it yesterday. It's no big deal. She says, well, baby, it is a big deal. And she said, the worst thing that you can do for that ankle is walk around as if it doesn't hurt. And the worst thing that we can do as followers and believers of Jesus Christ is walk around like it doesn't hurt. Like people aren't hurting. Like pain isn't taking place. Like struggle isn't happening in our world. The worst thing that we can do is walk around like life is perfect. It's not, y'all. 
It's not. Our world is hurting and it is in need of a savior. And as far as I know, there is only one who can heal the pain of our world. And his name is Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Why is this important? It's simple. It's simple. People who change the world usually do so because they are burdened. There's old adage, old preachers used to say, they say, man, your misery will become your ministry. Or, or oftentimes, we only move when something moves us. When you are moved, you are moved. When you see and you hurt for people, you are then moved. That's what changes things. I love this quote by uh, Dr. Howard Thurman, the great mystic. Uh, this is the gentleman whom Dr. King and his, 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 his people, they all aspire to be. Dr. Thurman said this, don't ask the what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go and do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And what you need to do is to figure out what makes you come alive. If you're trying to figure out what lies next for me, and, and, and I love our congregation especially because, man, we love and we feel deeply. But we need to ask ourselves, man, what gives me life? And I'll tell you this, what the world does not need is a bunch of generalists who are hopping from one movement to the next. We don't need that. We don't need you getting involved in each and everything and giving a half-hearted response to it. What we need is for you to determine what gives me life, what keeps me up at night, what, what makes me hurt, what am I mourning over? And when you find that thing, that thing gives you life and you'll be motivated to give and devote your life to it. Even if you're trying to figure out, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough energy. But if it makes you come alive, it won't matter about what you lack. You'll be trying to figure out, how can I have an impact? Can I have an impact? So they couldn't, they couldn't mourn. Because the persecution then broke out. And the Bible tells us that the same day that Stephen died, the great persecution broke out. And so here's what I love. Because of the great persecution, the Bible tells us, that everybody scattered except for the apostles. Which brings me to my second point. Not only do we have to mourn in the moment, but some of us, we've got to stand firm. I love the behavior of the apostles, that even with the possibility of death or imprisonment, they decided that this cause was worthy of them to stand still, not to budge. Which is the position that we constantly find ourselves in, right? We are either going to fight or flight. We're constantly faced with that reality. What will be my response to this? And I have to ask myself this question. What caused the apostles to stay when everybody else scattered? What was different about them? Or were they just better hiders? Um, some um, gospel or, or biblical scholars, they argue that one of the reasons why the apostles were able to stay rather than scatter like the other ones was because they were specifically targeting Greek-speaking Jews, which the apostles didn't qualify for that. And uh, I'd like to give, you know, the persecution that much credit. Usually I don't. I think that there was something else that motivated the apostles to stay other than the reality that they were not Greek-speaking Jews. And I believe that there was something inside of their spirit that caused them to stay, even though they knew that there was the possibility of death and in prison. And it made them stay around. 
I believe they were perfectly aware of the dangers. They knew what awaited them. They knew of the struggles. All of those things were apparent to them, but something else was there that caused them to stay. I believe a lot of it has to do with what they were taught. I believe that they remembered the teachings of Jesus Christ and that Jesus himself told them that in this life they're going to have trouble. Or that in Acts 16, he made them aware that there was going to be great persecution. Things were going to come. Tears were going to happen. That problems were going to be there. But yet he sent his Holy Spirit to be with them. And he would comfort them and lead them where they needed to go. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends, he simply tells them this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you do, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the planet. I believe they remembered the teachings of Jesus Christ and even though death and persecution was coming their way, they were willing to sacrifice and stand firm for the cause that Christ called them to. And sometimes, man, just in life, you've got to be committed to sticking it through. One of the things I love about people, I love the fact that we're cause-oriented. The thing that really discourages me at times is how quickly we are to sway to the other end when an issue arises. Yeah, because what will happen oftentimes is I'll hear people all the time say, well, you know, man, Reverend, I'm, I'm really called uh, to doing this. And I'm like, well, praise God. Let me pray for you. How can we work alongside you with this? And then an issue will happen. Money won't come in or things won't go the way that you hope. You say, well, you know what? Based upon these problems, I don't think Jesus was really calling me to that. And sometimes we give up too quickly. Because life doesn't go the way that we hoped it would or because problems happen in the pathway of where we're going. But what I've learned more times than not is when you are pursuing the mission that God has you on, oftentimes you'll experience a great level of discouragement and pain and tears and struggle in a route to where you're going. You just got to make it up in your mind. Am I going to allow this moment to be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? And people of God, until God tells you no, the last thing you need to do is give up. But you need to stand firm and trust that God is still with you. The same God that called you, God is not someone who changes his mind frequently like humanity does. When he calls you to something, it may be hard, it may be complicated, it may be difficult, but God wants you to stand firm. Stand firm. I love it. Uh, I, was, I was trained um, a lot of my ministry context by a guy named Reverend Jerome Brown. I love him dearly. And, uh, and he taught me about premarital counseling. And he says, Jamel, listen, when you do premarital counseling, you have one job. And I said, what's my one job, Reverend Brown? He says, when you have that couple come into your office, they are in man, premarital bliss. And your one obligation is to point out every gap in their relationship in hopes that you can convince them not to get married. And he says, if after that, they then decide to stick it through and get married, their relationship has a chance. And oftentimes, God does the same thing to us because the field that he is calling us to, the people that he is calling us to, they need somebody who is willing to walk with them, who will do more than just, I'll pray for you. 
who'll pick up the phone, who'll stay up at late nights, who'll sit up in hospitals, who will go to places where the average person won't go. The world needs us to do more than just give them some Christian, um, appropriate, polite response to their pain. But somebody who says, listen, I will get down in the dirt and in the mud and I will stand with you, I will go with you, and I will be here and I won't break until you do. You got to stand firm, man. It's all through the Bible, man. God is calling people to stand firm. It took Noah to build his ark for 40 years in sunshine. 40 years in sunshine. Stand firm. Elijah stood in front of the 450 prophets of Baal, standing by himself, proclaiming what no one else does. You have to stand firm. Young David stood in front of the entire army of the nation of Israel who were cowering because of one man and said, for God I live and for God I die. God is looking for us to stand firm. Stand firm. And when you stand firm, what you've got to trust is the same God who's calling you to it. He will give you the guidance and direction that you need in order to move forward. That's the testimony of one church. That's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to stand firm. We're just trying to hold on to what we believe God called us to. Because the reality is there are a lot of people who told us to quit. There are a lot of people, Matt had friends, who will say, listen, after you finish playing around down there in the urban hood, after you can finish playing, why don't you come back over here where ministry is really happening? And there are people who say, man, after you finish trying to be a pastor for all colors of people, come on back home to your people. We've heard it all. People have taken money. They've made promises. They've stripped commitments. And at the end of the day, we've come together and say, man, we believe that God called us to this. And whatever we are going to be is not directly tied to your checkbook or not. If we have to take up one penny every Sunday for 12-12, by God, we will take up one penny. And when God decides to deliver, we will celebrate him. But we will never, never make a decision based upon the attitude and the responses of humanity. Because God calls us to stand firm based upon what we believe. And when you do, oh man, when you do, God, God will show up for you. God will show up for you. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will give you the hope that you need, the strength and the intestinal fortitude that you need to stand strong if you just stand firm. Stand firm, my brothers and sisters. When pain comes your way, stand firm. When people don't believe in you, stand firm. When the money runs low, stand firm. When people think that you're crazy, stand firm. When people abandon you and friends that you thought were your friends, but they give up on you, stand firm. When you're depressed and you're weeping at night, stand firm. And when, when the job isn't working out, stand firm. When somebody gives you a note, stand firm on what God called you to. And the God that we serve will change things for you. Yeah. Dad, Chase, for you, you, you guys know, you know what I mean? Man, one of the th reasons why Matt and I are, are real good friends because we both love coffee. Uh, yeah, coffee. Coffee is the great uniter. Ain't nothing better than sitting across the table with a cup of coffee with somebody that you love, man. You can just stand there and drink some coffee and it, it'll, it'll soothe all your pains away. They, they get old, you know, they get old dark coffee that makes your breath stink. That's, that's what you need in your life. You need, <laughs> need that good old coffee. I was in the coffee shop one day, and, and, uh, and I saw a young lady leading a young man inside the coffee shop. And uh, it looks like that basically the young man was blind. Uh, as they came into the door, uh, he stood still. She, she took a few steps away from him, and he calls out her name. She says, calls his name, she says, come to me. He says, well, I don't know where I am. She says, that's okay. You don't have to know where you are. You just need to listen to my voice. Yeah. 
And even when you don't know where you are, listen to my voice, and my voice will guide you where you need to go. Well, my brothers and sisters, I know that it gets difficult at times, and you need to learn how to stand firm. Rather than trying to figure out how God's going to work it out, stand still, stand firm for a moment, and listen for the voice of God. And the voice of God will tell you where you need to go. Got to go, got to go. Last thing is this, man. Not only stand firm, but say this, say, stay the course. I love this. I love this. Check out verse four says this. Check this out. Stephen has died. A great persecution has broke out. They are mourning. They're scattered throughout the region. And uh, the apostles are standing in Jerusalem trying to hope that everything works out. But verse four says this. Those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. The attitude of the persecutors is that once we persecute the church, the work is going to stop but verse tells, 4 tells us that even though they were scattered, they still continued the work. They preached the word. They preached the gospel wherever they went. They may have been persecuted and struggled to survive, but their devotion to God never changed. It never wavered. And so they did exactly what God needed them to do wherever they went. And here's what I love about Scripture. There are those scriptures at times you can read that will affirm the reality, man, that God is a smart God. He is truly omniscient in his works. You remember verse uh, 8 in chapter 1, and I said that you will become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, well, well God worked that thing out, man. Check this out. Let's, let's now go to Acts 11, verses 19 through 21, and listen to what it says. Now, those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And what the haters of the movement thought was the great persecution, in reality, was actually the great progression. Because what our God did is use the persecution as a tool to help the gospel spread out to the uttermost parts of the world. Which means this for us historically. We wouldn't know Jesus Christ had it not been for the persecution that happened in Acts chapter 8. But the only reason that we have gathered here today is because God took a mess of a persecution as a tool to spread his gospel. Man, I love our God and how awesome he is. That he can use something so devastating and work it out for our good so that he can ultimately show us that no matter how it looks in the world, God is always working. That's the discipline that every Christian has to have. That you've got to understand no matter what you are experiencing, that our God has never forgotten about you. That you've got to understand even through the pain that God has a plan for your pain. And you've got to understand even in the mess that God can use that mess and make it a miracle. 
And you've got to understand when money is low and when friends give up on you, that God can even use that to change your situation. The God that we serve can use your pain to completely knock you out of the box of your existence to give you a hope and a calling that goes further than whatever you experience. So my brothers and sisters of one church, this is my only hope. That in times when we feel discouraged and when it seems like things aren't always working out the way that we planned, last year around this time, man, we witnessed a great exodus of about 175 people. People who didn't believe in our mission, people who gave up on the plan, people who didn't believe in worshiping with people who looked differently from them. And we spent last year depressed and sad and mourning and weeping over what happened. But today I declare it's got to be something different. We've got to take what God is doing. We've got to take the pain that we've experienced. We've got to take the hopelessness that is in our world. And we've got to take those moments and allow God to be God and for us to be his servants. And we've got to say to our God that even though things are working out the way that we hope, God, we believe that you can work this thing out. And I know your stories, and I know your pain, and I know your struggles, and I know that I'm not the only one who's looking for deliverance. And I'll tell you this, there's a God that we serve who can deliver you out of the muck and the mire, who will take your pain and turn it into a testimony, who will take your trials and give you hope that you've never experienced. There is a God that we serve who will give you a hope that you've never had before, who will take your miracles, man, and spread it out amongst the world, that people will see your testimony and know not only that God delivered you, but there's a God who can deliver them also. And on the corner of 4th and Oak, I've seen addicts, I've seen alcoholics, I've seen homeless, I've seen the prisoners, and I've seen the people who are in need of love that can only come through Christ. And my prayer every night is God, send us the resources, send us the people, send us the ones who have a heart, who are breaking for the pain in our world. God, send us the people who are weeping in our streets. Send us to people who are grieving for Charlottesville. Send us to people who are looking for something different than what they've ever seen. And God, when they won't go, we'll go. We'll go. We'll go. Engage our community in ways that we've never seen before. Become the church without walls. The church of God's hands and feet. His mouth and his voice. And we will become transformative, passionate people of God. Amen. 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 God bless you.